Hi everyone, and welcome to Remaking Tomorrow, a series of conversations about the future of teaching and learning. I'm Ryan Rodzeski, here with Greg Baer, and we're the co-authors of When You Wonder, You're Learning, Mr. Rogers' Enduring Lessons for Raising Creative, Curious, Caring Kids. This is a podcast powered by Remake Learning, a network that ignites engaging, relevant, and equitable learning in support of young people navigating rapid social and technological change. On today's episode, we're talking with Michael H. Levine, Senior Vice President of Learning and Impact for Noggin, Nickelodeon's online learning platform. Michael, welcome to Remaking Tomorrow. So glad to be here with you guys today. So Michael, you're a hugely well-known figure in the world of children's media. And among other things, you are the founding executive director of the Joan Gans Cooney Center, which is the research and innovation lab for Sesame Street. And you spent more than a decade at Sesame Workshop as chief knowledge officer. So we have a tough first question for you. Who's your favorite Sesame Street character and why? Oh my. <laughs> I have never been asked that question, Greg and Ryan. It's Furry Blue Grover. I have three reasons why. First of all, you guys may know that I'm interested in global citizenship and Grover is a truly global character. I, I just think it's so important that kids learn about their local environment, but also become you know globally capable. Second, the man who operates and plays Grover is a fabulous person, not well known, but I will give him a little bit of props now. His name is Eric Jacobson. He's remarkably creative and wonderful. And third, you all have kids, I hear. He taught my kids the difference between the concept of near and far when they were little. And if your listeners have not seen Grover's classic near and far bit, they should run to do so right after this <laughs> podcast. You know, I can see that in my mind right now. Near, far. <laughs> <laughs> Michael, can you talk about how did you get into this field? What was it or who was it that first drew you to the field of children's media? It really is a bit of serendipity. And, you know, it really was also the legacy of Joan Gans Cooney, the founder of Children's Television Workshop and the creative genius behind, you know, Sesame Street. I really first began to learn about Joan's work and the work of Sesame when I was a program director, program officer at Carnegie Foundation in New York City. And I learned about the rich history of Sesame's founding in the late 1960s. It was the period of the war on poverty and, you know, a big conversation about children's need and the dawn of media production with, you know, Fred Rogers in Pittsburgh, of course, and the invention of public television. Carnegie and one of their program officers, Lloyd Morissette, played an outsized role because he met with Joan Gans Cooney, who was at that time in the mid-60s a uh, documentary maker at WNET um, in New York City. And they got into a conversation about the fact that television was not being well deployed for educational impact. And from there, conversations over a dinner party, legend has it, the seeds in Dawn of Sesame Street were founded. But I also got interested in how sort of the dawn of the internet age there at sort of the mid-late 1990s could be a way of communicating effective and powerful policy ideas through mass communication airways. My real interest in educational media came from my real interest in using communication forms to communicate about in the 1990s and early aughts the importance of brain development. At Carnegie, we created a report called Starting Points, which was the first time in which the information about 
in the first few years of life and the powerful amount of brain development took hold, you know, in the in the public's imagination. And I met through that work, Rob Reiner and a number of other early learning pioneers who were really smitten and compelled by the new research in neuroscience and, and child development. And so we began to work with a whole bunch of media and technology leaders with, with Rob Reiner and Tom Hanks and Deb Phillips, Bruce Perry, Jack Shonkoff. So I learned at that stage of my career that the media were the message. So let's fast forward from that amazing beginning for you, because a few years ago, you joined Noggin, which is part of Nickelodeon. So what is Noggin and what does Noggin offer families and their young people? Noggin is Nick Jr.'s early learning platform. It was founded over 20 years ago, actually, as a partnership project with Sesame Workshop and the Henson Company to be the first anytime, anywhere, you know, learning platform for young children. It's gone through many iterations and it's sort of waxed and waned. It's definitely on the rise today. Uh, a new team has been working at Noggin for the last few years to offer evidence-based, child-tested early education. We feature so many of the characters that kids love, from the Paw Patrol to Peppa Pig to Dora the Explorer. And, you know, Greg and Ryan, our mission is to connect young children to the big, wide world. We, we know that little kids love big learning opportunities. We've been inspired by media pioneers like Fred Rogers and Joan Gans Cooney. And so we do this through many different forms of content, you can imagine, from video to ebooks to games and maker tools. I mean, all this is delivered via interactive and linear platforms to millions of kids every day. What I'd say is unique over the last few years about Noggin, perhaps, are the growing number of partnerships with other world-class learning and cultural institutions. For example, we recently released a mission inspired by NASA space scientists that are connecting our kids to STEM learning. Uh, we're now filming a series of classes with the iconic dance and movement studio, Alvin Ailey. So we're working with those remarkable artists. We're devising uh, a program to get kids off their devices and out into nature with the wonderful nature company, Tinker Garden. So our app is also home to drawing and painting games, mindfulness, yoga, experiences with the Metropolitan Museum of Art and the uh, startup Breathe for Change. So in some, what's kind of different and what's up at Noggin these days is a focus on a world where kids who are now consuming what I think is too much media, being inspired by others like Fred Rogers, who saw the medium not as a destination for consumption, but as a launch pad for building deeper human relationships with the world around them. Michael, can you talk us through the process of making Noggin a learning experience? I know you talked about how it offers all these programs like Peppa Pig. How did you make it more than just a Netflix for kids? What are some of the ways that children and families interact with the app? So, I mean, it all starts with an educational curriculum. So everything we develop, you know, content-wise, whether it's a video, a class, book, interactive game, our creators begin their process with an educational brief. The brief outlines the specific skills and knowledge that the kids can learn with a modest amount of engagement. Then each piece of the content is you know, tested by our learning and child development scientists for learning impact as well as appeal. There's no learning impact without joy. It's very different from, you know, not all, but most apps or video content 
especially from the entertainment companies. And unlike a number of the other learning apps that claim impact, we have real educational and child development experts on our staff, as well as a cadre of you know academic advisors who you know, stand behind our process. Uh, people like the pediatrician, Dr. Jenny Radeski of the University of Michigan, who's well known for you know, her work on kids' media consumption, and the anti-racism expert, uh, Beverly Daniel Tatum of Spelman and, and Mount Holyoke, who's, who's written so much about how to raise you know, kids um, to be anti-racist, anti-bias. Michael, there was an interview in which you said this about Noggin. Other companies have created educational content that's good for kids, but I intend to make sure Noggin is also personalized and joyful. You've been speaking to this already, but can you say even more about this? What does it mean for Noggin to advance personalized learning in its own way? Personalized learning is a phrase that we hear so many educators in and out of school talk about now. You're talking about it in the context of a media-making company. So what does that mean, and what kind of joy does it spark for kids and their families? You know, from the very beginning, you know, Greg and Ryan, we've got a little bit of an insider's advantage because the kids love our characters. They truly enjoy their company. So we are adding many different elements that relate to the science of personalization. I mean, the first thing we do is we ask parents and children to tell us what they like as, you know, part of their onboarding onto our platforms. Do they love dinosaurs? Do they love fashion? Are they space fans? So we gather a little bit of uh, information about their interest-driven learning. Do they have a, a yen for the bubble guppies or the pups in the Paw Patrol? So if we get this basic data up front, we can begin to draw on their own interest to drive what's on offer to them. Um, and then second, we're giving kids tools. They can make their own avatar. They can do their own discovery through music makers and arts makers and kind of the sandbox play that's open-ended that we provide on the platform that is used not only to discern their interests, but to scaffold it as well. And then increasingly, and this is the hard part, we're building the capacity over time to use embedded learning analytics. What's going on in our company and many others is you know, using machine learning and using artificial intelligence in hopefully not a creepy way, in a way that's totally transparent and open to the users of our platform to boost and support a child's pathway, you know, based on what we call their leveled performance on the platform. So if kids are doing well at one level, we continue to, you know, boost them up. And if kids are struggling with some of the content across our four learning programs, we start them over again. This is Greg Bear along with Ryan Rudzeski. We're talking with Michael Levine, Senior Vice President of Learning and Impact at Noggin. Michael, you've mentioned Fred Rogers a few times, and I can't help but think of that famous uh, Senate testimony when he's talking to a senator and saves funding for public television and children's media. And I'm wondering, now that the field has matured, can you talk about some of the ways you've seen children's media improve over the course of your career? And what are some of the major challenges it still faces today? I would say that the media landscape has changed quite a lot. Back in those days, you just had, you know, Fred Rogers, Captain Kangaroo, and Sesame Street. And that was the case from, you know, mid-late 60s until mid-late 80s. I, I think the big thing that's changed is the quality of educational media at its best has improved dramatically, you know, on the shoulders of Fred, on the shoulders of Sesame, of course, but on the shoulders of many others, including, you know, the company that I work at, Nickelodeon. When I began the Cooney Center, which is named for John Gans Cooney at Sesame Workshop in 2007, 
there was barely anything on the digital interactive side, even on the linear side, that had evidence of real learning impact beyond Sesame, PBS, and a few Nickelodeon programs. The first research study that I did at the Kinney Center actually took a look at almost 300 apps and programs that claimed educational impact at that time. Only three had any evidence to wow. prove that their marketing claims. So that was a low point. Today, that would no longer be true. You know, Sesame, PBS, Age of Learning, Homer, Khan Academy, all of our rivals, you know, at uh, Noggin, they all have serious educational staffs and research programs, you know, underway. Congress and the U.S. Department of Education, you know, looking back and looking ahead now, you know, regularly invest in educational games and other interactive, you know, resources. The ed tech, you know, venture capital investments over the past decade have been unprecedented with, you know, increasingly investment in early learning as well. All that said, the field is still littered with far too many edutainment products for my liking. They're not robust or intentional in their educational you know, ambition even, much less their impact. So despite great parent support resources like Common Sense Media, a new parent like you, Ryan, or you know, a late adopting you know, educator might experience the environment as what I've referred to in the past with my colleague Lisa Guernsey as a digital wild west. So beyond the challenges of quality evidence of impact, Another huge one is how to connect what kids are doing online, whether it's Noggin, Sesame, Pokemon, Roblox. How do we connect these online experiences to real world learning? How can we truly connect digital media as a modeling and more limited experience that will help kids explore and discover? That's a challenge, especially post-COVID. So amidst this digital wild west, you did reference the phrase, Michael, media when it's at its best. So let's focus on that optimistic side. When media is at its best for children, what does it look like? And what are the benefits of high quality children's media? Well, I'm going to give you in a nutshell what high quality media can do. I, I think high quality media can unlock a child's interest and passions. The best media tell a compelling story that encourages a child or children to reflect, explore, and publish their own creations. Your work in Pittsburgh and around the country has inspired me to understand that media by themselves can be inert and inactive, or they can inspire and move a child, beginning in early childhood, to be a maker, to indeed remake learning. Michael, for a new parent like me who, you know, the last interaction I had with children's media was Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. It was Sesame Street. What do I look for? You know, when we look at new children's media, how can I figure out what's quality and what's not? Are there any guidelines, any characteristics that, that jump out? My colleague Lisa Guernsey and I wrote a book called Tap, Click, Read, and, and, and Lisa's, you know, an expert at New America. And she refers to um, the three C's, and we've added a fourth together that I think can you know, help us understand. First and foremost, and I'm trained as a developmentalist, and so I think about the interest of the child at the center of these concentric circles. So we have to start with the interest of the child, the child's temperament, one that is you know, introverted and particularly ripe to spend too much time, you know, on media. So we have to sort out where the interests of the child, you know, are both in terms of their personality and their temperament, but also in terms of what I've referred to throughout this interview as their passions or their interest-driven learning. 
We also need to understand the different context for a child's learning to kind of understand the difference between, you know, sort of mindful consumption of a first person shooter, which might actually be dangerous for a very young child versus, you know, a, um, a video chat. There are ways in which we actually now have metrics for discerning the quality, both in terms of the connections that the media makes, what I've referred to as the relationship, you know, meter. Is this something that is only about consumption or production or entertainment, or is it something that's going to extend the learning environment and the relationships uh, with the caring adults? So the third C, you know, has to do with the content's quality. The fourth C for me is, and it's become increasingly clear that we need to have a community dimension to assessing the quality of media. By that, I mean, good media really can build more inclusive and, you know, representative uh, windows, you know, for all families. I think especially during COVID and with the murder of George Floyd, we began to come to a realization that media forms not been doing a good enough job of representing, you know, all families there. So those are the four C's, uh, the child, the context, the content, and the community. Let's talk a little bit more about community because among other things, Noggin has launched Big Heart World. It's a campaign that centers on social and emotional development and creators of color. So Michael, can you tell us about Big Heart World? So leaders at Noggin, uh, Vicki Katz, soon to be at Chapman University, and Vicki Rideout, both experts on digital media and learning and digital inequality, decided in the middle of the pandemic to do a large research study to discern the main concerns of parents as they were in and emerging from the COVID pandemic. And by a very wide margin, it's social and emotional learning more than learning loss that has been and continues to worry parents and caregivers you know, most. So when we did that study, we also were simultaneously developing a new curriculum at Noggin. We have four learning programs based on the curriculum that we have developed, one of which is called Noggin's Big Heart Approach. Noggin's Big Heart Approach takes CASEL learning standards. These are the social emotional learning standards of the national organization called CASEL. We took those standards and we blended them with work on social justice education. In that work, we recruited a really wonderful collection of creative artists, many of whom are musicians of color, to work with us on music that's focused on these Big Heart skills to illustrate our curriculum, the Big Heart's curriculum and Big Heart world feature, ways to have kids understand and express their feelings and emotions, practice empathy, become upstanders for what's you know, decent and fair, as I mentioned earlier, ways to practice inclusive problem solving. So with our partners, Sparkler Learning, and with generous funding from the Walton Family Foundation, we got the idea to combine that eight-month Big Hearts SEL curriculum with an album called Noggin's Big Heart. It's about 10 really wonderful songs from artists of all stripes and colors. We developed this SEL campaign, which is powered by a new site, which your listeners should go to. It's called bigheartworld.org. And the site includes amazing SEL teaching and caregiving resources from a dozen and a half national nonprofits, mission-driven companies that are advancing SEL learning. You can find Noggin's music, creation tools, lesson plans, and Sparkler's incredible, incredible kid-led podcast, Little Kids, Big Hearts, on that platform all for free. Michael, you mentioned that Noggin is on the rise. 
based on everything you've told us, that might be an understatement. What's next for Noggin? We're doing well, but there's just so much more that we need to do. Kids and families have been really stressed over the last few years, and we're very, very concerned about it. I mean, COVID was honestly a wake-up call for all of us in the media business because we became a public utility, and that's a big responsibility. We've grown a lot, and we're grateful for that, but we want to make sure that we're growing in a way that is always, always good for children. So we've got four big projects underway now. First, we're building a much smarter app that's powered by kids' interest in performance. I gave a little preview of that. Second, we're developing a free resource for schools that will debut in 2023 as well. That's going to be something that educators in Head Start and preschools and childcare settings will be able to use to, again, sort of catalyze learning and delight you know children with Noggin offerings. Third, we're creating, like everyone else, a metaverse-like world that's going to allow a child to have a play experience akin to a dollhouse or a sandbox experience. All of us have noticed the wild popularity of platforms like you know, Roblox, but we want to provide something that is safe, delightful, and you know educational. Um, and fourth, I, I think I also noted this in some ways, we're, we're launching a series of connected learning experiences with experts in STEM, nature, mindfulness and yoga, dance, music and movement. All of this adds up to, I think, our desire to have Noggin to be known for the amazing ways in which the beloved characters can act as children's, I want to call them playmates and sidekicks. We also want Noggin to be the place where parents and educators know that they can trust our team to guide them off the screen into the real world. We want the parent or the teacher, when they ask a child, where did you learn that? The child to say, I learned that on Noggin. <laughs> Michael, how can families find out more about Noggin and the work you're doing? We have a website, noggin.com. There's a free trial for Noggin running pretty frequently for a couple of months for the entire app experience, which includes an interactive app as well as access on over a dozen platforms. Our partners at Sparkler operate a wonderful free website called bigheartworld.org. And um, we also just recently launched a free to use YouTube channel that is available for educators and parents and caregivers as well. Michael, one last question before we go. What's one thing that parents and educators can do today to make tomorrow a more promising place for every learner? It's really important that parents in these very difficult times find a chance to engage with their kids. It's hard for me to say this as a media executive, get up off those devices and get out into nature and get into family fun experiences it's time for kids and parents to reconnect. Use what we've learned about the value of media forms to build human relationships. If we can all reflect on Fred Rogers' you know, mantra about pausing to reflect and wonder and notice, we'll all be a lot better off. And when we see things in the world that are scary, frightening, difficult, and untrue, to call them out in an age-appropriate way. Thanks again to Michael H. Levine, Senior Vice President of Learning and Impact at Noggin, Nickelodeon's online learning platform. 
Remaking Tomorrow is powered by Remake Learning. Learn more at remakelearning.org.